Welcome to the Not So Darlin' Podcast. This is a platform where Tanya and her guests share honest conversations while not taking life too seriously. Because let's face it, being perfect is lame. Now, here's your Not So Darlin' host, Tanya Phillips. My next guest, Jess Hooper, personally is a mother of five kids and resides with her husband and kids in central Minnesota. Professionally, Jess is a licensed independent social worker with 15 years of human service experience, specializing in child welfare. Jess runs her own human service consulting training company, Ray of Hope, offering reflective coaching to human service professionals nationally. Her passion is curating curiosity and spending time to wonder. And well, I'm curious and wonder just what it's like to be a mom and a social worker specializing in child welfare. I ask her the hard questions that we all want to know. I also ask her for tips for outsiders who can help when they see a child struggling. Welcome, Jess. Hi. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Good. I can't help but notice, and I'm going to have to um, kind of explain what your photos or your artwork uh, mm-hmm. behind you looks like. It honestly is like a sun, right? It's a sun mm-hmm. with the ray coming out, but she's literally sitting in the middle of it. So <laughs> when I'm looking at her on video, which you all cannot see, I see her and this just like beam of light all around her. And when I first talked to her, I felt this immediate connection. And so I hope you guys feel just exactly what I did when you hear her story. So Jess, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So it's funny because I found these and I hadn't even connected. So my business is called Ray of Hope, which my business card has sun rays on it. And I just fell in love with the sun picture, but I didn't connect it until somebody was meeting with me and they said, did you do that on purpose? It's like, no, but clearly it was, that was like in the unseen organized. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just literally <laughs> thought of that because I forgot that it was Ray of Hope and it is. It's so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Funny how that works. So personally, I'm a mom of five, married with my husband, raising five kids on a central Minnesota farm. But professionally, I am a social worker who's been in the field of child welfare for 15 years um, and now kind of branching out a little into I am writing a column for a local magazine. And then I just um, have a book that's coming out September 3rd. It's a co-authored book and it's about success codes and learning the things you weren't taught in school about what success really looks like. And then most of my professional time is spent still in child welfare, but now in the consultant coaching role. So I work really uniquely with um, like human service, child welfare leaders and do reflective coaching. So the use of curiosity over judgment and like really trying to, um, well, unsystem a system that's been really judgmental of people and trying to get them to be more curious and find it really honorable to join people on a journey, no matter their circumstance that brought them to meeting you. You know, there's a path for both of you in each other's, you know, earthbound journeys. Like this is a joy, even though it's presented as something that would be otherwise viewed. So oh. busy, busy work, mom, love yeah. both. <laughs> well, and you can definitely tell that you're from Minnesota. Yes, you can. You <laughs> your your uh, accent, I guess, or your, yeah. yeah. And I'm sure you can tell that I'm from Kentucky. 
<laughs> yes, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> My southern accent. I try. I try not to have that, but oh well. And I just love it. I just love those things about people. So as you just stated that you are a mom and a social worker, um, specializing in child welfare, how has that shaped you as a mom? Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny because it's different depending on if if I look back and think about when I've had my first child, I was deeply working in child protection, you know, like deeply entrenched in doing the work. Um, and it impacted it differently than now, you know, number five is a year old. So my kids range in age from one to 12. So there's five within that range. And it at first was maybe doing things I didn't want it to do, you know, it was making me more nervous about, you know, things that I didn't need to be nervous about until I kind of walked my own path of finding honor in the work and really getting to see, know, and love the people I'm working with and value them as human beings, not as a case. And um, then it's really just impacted that, like it's built me seeing things more collectively, you know, so even just suffering, my well-being is wrapped up in your well-being and I want you to be well. And that's impacted my parenting and now wanting my kids to see the world that way. Like people need to be well in order for all of us to be well. I mean, the, the nature of wellness, the nature of success is collective. So for it to be genuine, everyone should experience it. And we participate in helping people just mm-hmm. as much as we participate in receiving help from other people. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I really do because I try to, you know, as a mom to explain to my son, having compassion and seeing sometimes, you know, don't always judge a book by its cover. It's like one of my favorite quotes. It's like, yes, you know, don't just pass judgment right there when you see that person um, mm-hmm. and try to be more open. Um, because I think in today's world, we tend to be really hard on everything, you know, and with everything going on, you know, we're still in the midst of a global pandemic. And, yep. and so, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I think are, I, I just love, I, that's, you know, why I was so drawn to you is because I really loved that aspect of what you were sharing. Cause I think mm-hmm. it's really important for other people to hear it from a actual social worker. So as a mom, I feel called sometimes to act. Um, but in the same sentence, I refrain because I'm afraid of getting in trouble for helping a child. Mm-hmm. Um, this has happened to some people, be, you know, like in si- certain situations, things have happened to people um, to to why they are like in the position they're in, you know, mm-hmm. with their children or whatever the case may be. So as a mom, I feel called sometimes to act. Um, But in the same sentence, I refrain because I'm afraid of getting in trouble for helping the child in need. Uh, This has happened to some people because of certain rules, whether that be in school or by law. In today's world, the mentality seems to be it's not our problem. So we turn our head or overlook things um, that have nothing to do with us personally. Or maybe it's someone that works in a school um, and knows that these children need help, but they may lose their job if they help the student. So what are some tips on things outsiders like myself or my listeners can do to help when they see children uh, that may be suffering or struggling in some way? Mm -hmm. So 
this is going to sound like a really non-social work child protection answer because people are so conditioned to think child protection means something that it just shouldn't. So the, I'm not going to tell you who to call and when to call. What I'm going to say is we need to start seeing ourselves as not outsiders to other people. So you know what I mean? Like there's so much power in the unseen of just seeing somebody with loving eyes instead of judgmental eyes. That has a big impact on people. So instead of um, worrying about your, I'm, I'm judging them, don't see yourself as an outsider and figure out what you're judging them for. That's your conditions to own, not their conditions to own, right? Like our judgments are based on conditions we've built up about people to stay disconnected from people. So I'm going to judge you as this, that, or that, because that then doesn't align directly with me and it's not my issue. So I don't have to worry about it. When really, if you figure out, well, why am I judging that that way? It's often about something you've been conditioned to think about something and keeps you disconnected. So I'm going to tell you, work with your kids, work with the kids you have direct access with, your neighbors, your kids' friends, and work to uncondition people's judgments so that we don't have to look from judgmental eyes at the people we see. And then if, if you were struggling, so if I was struggling and somebody wasn't approaching me with judgment and wanted to help me, I would receive that help. But if you're coming at me as you're a terrible parent, I can't believe you. I am not going to listen to your help. I don't even really want to hear it. So there's no relationship. I don't, I'm not going to listen to you or from you or integrate anything you say if I don't have a relationship with you. So the, to answer this question in a very big matter is make sure that everyone matters to you. So everyone is important and valuable and you can see, know, and love everyone that comes into your path without getting in the way of judgment, right? Like get out of your judgment mind. Um, and if it comes as it will, because we are human, judgments come quickly. Make it your burden to figure out what it's about, not their burden to own how you feel. Mm, yeah, it's such a, you know, a good way to, to look at it and, and to kind of take those blinders off and to really feel the feels. And, and let's face it, a lot of people don't want to do that. They don't want to feel that feeling. Um, and we are quick to judge and, and, you know, even myself, uh, and I can speak for, I shouldn't say I can speak for everyone, but, I feel like I could because we all sometimes are bad parents. We're not always, you know, we're not always like perfect. And, and uh, I think the striving for perfect is what the problem is. Yeah. So the, the, the view that we have that there is a perfect ideal parent is not what parenting is supposed to be about. Parenting is about in the moment learning with you and your kid and ruptures happen and things happen, but it's the repair, the close nature of a parent child relationship is, the ability to learn how to repair something because in the world, as they age and grow up, there are going to be lots of failures or things that at least are perceived as failure initially that they will have to know how to repair. And if not learned at their home, everyone's striving to you know, present as perfect and the home is presented as we are not achieving what is perfect. We lose the learning, like the life lessons that are meant to happen in the house. Yeah. People fail. I fail almost daily. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too. I, I sometimes lay in bed and say, oh, did I fail today as a mother? <laughs> you know, because, you know, I may have snapped or, you know, yeah. uh, or said things or maybe wasn't always present. So then there's the repair. If you're laying in bed saying, did I fail as a mom? This is going to sound really terrible. But my answer is that I hope you can honestly tell yourself, yes, 
And then you can follow it up with, and how did I repair that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause then the next day I'm like, you know what? I'll, you know, I had an incident with my son yesterday. It was his first day of school and a new school first year and in high school. And oh. yeah. And so I won't go into the details, but um, <laughs> we just had a disagreement, uh, you know, but then later that uh, afternoon when he came home, we discussed it and it was like, okay, like now we both see each other. I see his side, he sees mine, and we're good. So those are the things. Because in that moment, I was like, "Mm, I'm going to lay into him when he gets home. Yeah. But conflict is learning, and it's needed learning. So to know how to navigate conflict, both for myself, I learn different things about myself and conflict every day. But for kids, they need to learn how to navigate conflict. The world is not a perfectly harmonious place yet. So until everyone knows how to navigate conflict, we will not be without conflict. So, I mean, it's a goal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so true. Okay. So, are all child laws different in states? So, I would assume so, but I thought I would ask. Every state is so different. So, um, the consulting and coaching work I do in child welfare goes across many states, and the laws in which each of these systems have to operate under is so different. Um, you You can really see you know, where states are at as far as how they value children and families wellness based on some of the laws that are written in for how you work to make families most most well, but all of them are different. Everyone has access to your state's laws. They're, you know, by law, all the laws have to be accessible to the public. So you can find them. They're hard to interpret. So you can certainly call local offices. My hope is you will find somebody that at least, at least is relatable and caring about your questions. Um, but you have access to all of the knowledge. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you too, what do you think is the most broken part of social work and, and the system? <laughs> uh, this is so funny. So uh, I think the most broken part is the inability to use love in the work. So even as a social worker, right, your, your ethics talk about, um, you know, all of the things you can't do with clients, but it doesn't talk about you're going to have these really deep feelings about people that you spend the most vulnerable moments with and how we don't get to use the word love. So I can't tell a kid that I'm working with that I deeply care about you and I love you because we have such an antiquated view of what love means. Everyone thinks sex. I'm not talking about intimate love. That's very important too. But I'm talking about the love of I see, know, and love you. Like as a person, I see you. You belong here. We can't use that in the work. And that's the part for me that is the hardest because, right, we buy each other mugs that say, love what you do, love who you are, live the life you love. Well, some of us are called to the work that is within suffering, and we can't use that when there is none of us that aren't feeling that. So the reconciliation of that is sometimes to just get disconnected and burnt out. Yeah. Oh, if if I was a social worker, oh, my goodness, like it would be so difficult for me because I am a, a lover, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. of, of people. And I do, I, I, I love to do good and to help people and to, um, see the good side of everyone. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm perfect in that. Cause it's definitely not true. No, um, you know, and, and I, and I recall it, just talking about this. I recall a time, I had taken my son to um, 
McDonald's and this these were this was years ago and he was wanting to play in the play place and he may have had a friend with him. So I was just mm-hmm. sitting there by myself and I noticed a couple come in and obviously I I quickly judged by yeah. looking at them uh that you could tell maybe that they were have fell on hard times. They yeah. have maybe drug users. Um and they come in and then here come a social worker with mm-hmm. her child um, mm-hmm. who met them there. And so then the, the social worker goes over and sits, you know, alone and lets the parents, you know, have this time. And, and I was looking and I was just thinking to myself like, oh, wow. Like how, how, you know, I put myself in like their shoes mm-hmm. and then I think, oh, like how could, you know, immediately I say like, how could they do this? Like, how could they be in this addiction and and see their child and not be able to see their child? You know what I mean? It's yep, just, and, I do. and and then, then I, the heart felt part of myself or, you know, the deep mm-hmm. love I have for people, I think, and I look and I say, well, what, you know, what happened? What caused them to be in the position that they are in? Today. That's the magic question. Even Oprah and Bruce Perry just wrote that book called What Happened to You? That's the magic question to get out of judgment when you see people is don't assume because I've yet to meet and I've been in this work a long time that anyone wakes up wanting to be a bad parent, what they're being called as, or a drug addict or unsuccessful. Not one person wakes up saying, I think that's my goal for the day. So I really like to be unsuccessful, make sure I use drugs. Nobody. So then it's what happened that that is what you're what, you know, what you're doing right now, what happened? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, for me in my life and things that I've been through and, and still continue to battle with, like, I didn't wake up and say to myself, like, this is who I want to be as a person. No. I, I had these experiences that caused these negative feelings and emotions. And then I acted upon it and and not thought about it really. And then, you know, you feel defeated and you feel not good enough and and you fall trapped into this this these same ways and these patterns so um we fall conditioned to other people's conditions because we forget that we can define our own for ourselves mm -hmm. and so then we let other people tell us who and what we are oh gosh it's it's Mm -hmm. crazy so love and connection outside of of struggling children uh, Mm um you know a drug addicted parent um you know a parent who was physically mentally or a sexual abuser us as people sometimes don't see the so-called good yep um it's hard for me to say this because these people are in in lack of a better words terrible individuals who hurt kids you know and so in this case those awful people uh that do harm they're probably struggling with their own demons, you know, like I just said, life happens and causes like, like we just talked about, like these, these negative emotions and these feelings and, and things that have happened to us or to them for them to be in this situation or this type of person that they are. What do you think outsiders myself Mm -hmm. the listeners can do to try to maybe I don't know like change our outlook on that I mean I know we kind of discussed it a little bit already but 
what, what are some things that we can say like to ourselves or what do you teach in your, mm-hmm. yeah. in your, uh, services, uh, that help those people kind of see the mm-hmm. good and the bad. I don't know. Yeah. It, that's a, it's a good question because it's so multifaceted and different levels, right? So if you are in a profession in which you are working with people, they are deserving and honorable of being worthy to you as a person, right? So you need to uncondition your judgment around them, no matter the circumstance that they're in. But I will also say, I would never tell a victim, you are to love the person that harmed you. I would not say that to them because their proximity to the problem is too close for them to be the the person that sees, knows, and loves that person, right? So there's a clear, that is not their job in the world. But it is the job of other people who, who are playing different roles to find the person, see, know, and love the person, not the actions. None of that was right. And you are right. Often these things are built over time. You know, again, people don't generally wake up malicious unless there's some pathological problem, but people do act malicious. So the person in which they have acted malicious on, I am not talking to. I am not saying you need to see, know, and love that person because I do not think that that's reparative for them. But I am saying for me, when I work with professionals, you need to know where your biases are and why and how come you have them so that you can work past them and see, know, and love the people that come on your path through this work. Because you're not going to help, you're not going to help somebody that harms another person ever remedy why they're harming if you don't see, know, and love them. Does that make sense? The difference between you, yes. where you are in the role of with the you know the people that you're talking about. And part of me is it, I struggle because I don't want us to be outsiders. I want us to all be collective. So their unwellness is collectively tied to mine. So I need them to be well, but I also, the wellness of the person in which they harmed is connected to mine. So here I am in the middle and I want everyone in these professions, human serving professions to see, know, and love both sides, right? You're going to help the person in which was harmed and you're going to help the person in which did the harm. That's your role. That's why you're here. I mean, I deeply know my soul's purpose is to be in that middle part of the really hard parts for people, but I'm never going to make it somebody else's job whose job it shouldn't be being the victim, you know, somebody that has been victim to, I want you to thrive and find ways, but I'm not going to ask you to be the conduit of see, know, and love when I don't think that's healthiest for you, but I will be that so that we can figure out what to do. So this doesn't have to be anybody else's, you know, path. Mm-hmm. Does that make yeah. sense? Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I, it was like watching you and, and you talking about it. And this burst of light is like, uh, <laughs> you know, behind you. And and I can just imagine because it, it brought back things from my childhood, how I always wanted to just like have my arms open or like mm-hmm. uh, connect with everyone. And like when I would say my prayers, I would say like, please, Lord, bless everyone in the whole wide world. Yes. You know, it's like that love thing and like, you know, just the the coming together because ideally, you know, these individuals who have done some horrific things yeah. to other people sometimes really just didn't get the love and the, and the care and connection. And then, like you said, some is more pathological type things that emotionally are disturbed, I guess you could say. So, um, it's just not to forget to see the person. So right in the process of judging their behavior, you know, I read something this, I don't know if this is fitting, but I read something that said, um, We all expect to be judged by our intentions, but we judge other people by their behaviors. 
And so I've seen that so much come to light lately. Like I'll just use an example and it's a really like kind of hokey one, but I'm sitting at home one day and all five kids are outside playing and somebody comes tearing into our driveway as fast as they can drive. And I'm immediately pissed, right? Like (laughs) I have five kids playing here. You don't, I'm not even thinking about what their intention behind driving in fast might be. And so fast forward two days, you know, two days on our dog runs away and I tear out of the driveway as fast as I can to go find her same behavior but I certainly did not judge myself the same as I judged that person because I don't have any freaking clue what their intention was. And I didn't seek it. I just stayed in judgment. And then myself, I gave myself all the grace because I knew why I was doing it. So it's so intriguing. If you pay attention to those things, you start to see those things. Like I am just as guilty of judging on behavior when I expect you to judge me on intention. I am with you. I am with you on this because I myself, done the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I try, it's it's easier for me to like say to someone else, you know, mm-hmm. like my husband or whatever, like, wait, 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 you know, like think about what you just said, you yeah. know, blah, 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 blah. And, but I've, you know, been in the midst of, you know, the same thing, like, what the heck, why are they slamming on the brakes, you know, in front of me or whatever, but I don't know what's in front of them, you know? Yeah. So we always tend to to do that. I love that. I love that. So thank you for sharing that. I really yeah. do. Uh, yeah. Okay. So now let's talk about professionally in your field. How can people in your field or profession uh, reap the benefits of your coach and mentor program? Yeah. So I um, primarily work with human service leaders. You know, I obviously have lots of special love for child welfare, um, but any human service. And I'm often hired by their systems, like by the counties that they work with to infuse reflective practice into their, you know, people are invested in relationship-based processes for their workers because they understand that they want relationship-based processes for their clients and families that they serve. So then they invest in this for the people that are doing the work. Um, So you can look at my website, you know, I do, um, I have started like a leader intensive, which would be open to anybody in the human service leadership field. So certainly check that out if you were to go on the website. Um, Otherwise, I do lots of like enhancement trainings or professional growth opportunities for um, child welfare pretty specifically, but then a lot of, you know, we can nurture things no matter what field of human services you are in. And then, you know, like some of the other things that aren't just specific to social workers are like read the book, listen to this podcast. Like those are the ways that you can connect with me, even if we don't connect in person. I mean, our unseen ripples are so much bigger than all of the people in which I'll actually meet. So get a hold of me and try, but if not, here's the ways to like find and connect with new people. Yeah, for sure. And in speaking of being a co-author of a book titled mm-hmm. Success Codes, tell us more about the book and what your expertise brought mm-hmm. to that book. Yeah, it was so fun. I sort of just like happened upon this and I was looking for outlets to do talk about the things that I love, but not have to talk about them in such um, a refined space as just within a system. So I wanted to talk about reflection and kind of like looking at the definitions that we let other people make for us. And success was one of those that's really big to me because we all strive, unless we define it for ourselves, the majority strive for best, biggest, and most, right? Like that's the success that we're taught is best, biggest, and most. And it becomes competitive in comparison building or comparison based. When my chapter is called Success is Collective, 
success is meant to be collective. So we are born collectively connected to success. A baby cannot be successful and survive unless all of its needs are met by other people. It cannot survive. So then you move through the ages, right? So I talk about this all in my chapter more in depth. And then I give you lots of opportunities to reflect on your own definition. That's sort of my purpose in the chapter is to get you to see yourself. But then, okay, so back to the baby, right? Success is clearly collective as an infant. Then you go on to a toddler. Success is still collective. We're still bought in, but we give some autonomy, right? Like think of a walking toddler. First, you lift them up. Then you hold one hand. Then you let go, but you are still deeply invested if they'll be successful in walking. Deeply, collectively invested. Then you get into adolescence and all of a sudden it becomes competition-based. Your success is only good if it's competition. Now, I'm going to say this with love because I have five kids and a husband who adore sports and competition. I think there's so much value in those, but I think the piece that gets lost is the collective nature of nurturing failure. So I think there's no surprise that coaching is the word used, right? In all these professional settings of what works best for people. But I think sports has gotten um, to be too much about always winning. It is about winning and winning feels good. But failure is important to feel and know what to do with too. And I think we have more space to nurture and harness that within competition, you know, healthy competition. I think there's benefits to that. So I talk more about that, but it's the path in which if we know it's collective. You cannot deny it is because we cannot live without somebody invested in our success collectively. And then it shifts to competitive and comparison-based as we age. And then we forget that everyone's wellness is wrapped up in everyone's wellness. I think it's really important because don't we learn so much after we fail? Mm -hmm. So failures are important because then you become more successful after you've learned that, hey, I just failed, but, Mm -hmm. and it's devastating. It really is. You fail a test, you fail this. I mean, I remember when I was 16 and I failed my first um, permit uh, test. And I was like, man, I felt my first, you know, test as, you know, again, trying to get my permit. Uh, but I was like, Hey, you know what? You can go back and do it again. So, and I did. And then when I went to get my license, I passed the first time. So, um, I mean, I think those, I know that's kind of a minor, you know, it isn't failure. though because it's those min- minuscule things that we see as minor failures that are grand learnings. All that that told you was you didn't have enough knowledge yet to pass the test. It did not tell you you were a failure. It just said the moment in which you took the test, you did not yet have enough knowledge. You're okay, right. moving on. I'll take it again. Clearly you need more. I want you to be a safe driver. So then you gained more knowledge and you passed the test. I mean, it, mm-hmm. What appears to be failure often is a learning and we just, we have labeled failure to be such a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like even sports, you think of kids losing. All it's telling you is you are not yet as good as them. Right. Your skills need work. Okay. Go work on your skills. Right. Yeah. No, you're, you're so right about that. I just, you know, for me, I, I think that too, you know, I think about my son and, and all the sports he's played and, how competitive it gets. And I mean, even at a young age when he was playing baseball and, and the parents, I mean, goodness gracious, the parents would just, it was, it's bad. It was so bad. So I, you know, I think the thing is, is that we want to win. Yes. We want to be successful, 
we want all those wins, but we also need to fail to be, I think, more successful in life to learn because you're really learning so much from those, those experiences. And if you really thought about the, you know, perceived winner, you would probably realize how good it feels for them. And you would think, I really do want other people to feel good too. I mean, it's not like, oh my gosh, I despise you because you won and I lost. If I really think about it, okay, clearly you're, you knew how to do something better or more good for you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and a lot of people, yeah. And a lot of people don't look at it that way. They look at it in in jealousy or envious of of that person. So because we're comparison based, like we have built a system in which success is only accessible to some and not everyone. Mm -hmm. I just, I just love all the the things that you're sharing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So before we go, tell us Mm -hmm. your why um, on what you do. What yeah. Is- so I, you'll see, um, you know, my why was generally like, I knew from a very early age that I could see what people couldn't see as far as suffering and needs and that people needed somebody to see, know, and love them no matter what was happening in their life. But you will find the story on my website where it kind of all as an adult came like hammering together. Um, I was at my grandpa's pu- funeral and I had just had my second kid. So, and he was three months old. So I had to go buy shitty funeral clothes for a funeral. I was very upset that this person was gone because I hadn't yet reconciled death. Um, and I was, you know, I wasn't in clothes I wanted to be in because I was, you know, post-pregnancy and nursing and just didn't feel good. So I have to go get crappy funeral clothes for a funeral that I'm upset about. And I go to get the funeral clothes at a store and they have brace, a bracelet. I have it. I keep it on my desk now. It says hope. So they have a bracelet. Oh, do you want this? If you give a donation. And I was like, "Mm, no. And then I thought, oh my God, you are shopping for funeral clothes for your grandfather, who was the most giving person and generous of anybody you've ever met. Why would you not get that bracelet? So I thought, okay, yes, I'm going to get that bracelet, buy the bracelet, go to his funeral. I'm sitting at the funeral spinning these because I'm a really ugly crier, like loud, ugly. So I'm trying not to loud, ugly cry in the funeral. I'm spinning this bracelet, H-O-P-E, right? So remember those letters. The pastor's given his, you know, eulogy of how wonderful and loving and community loving this person was. And he helped other people every day. That's what he did. That's what Ray did is he helped other people every day. I'm spinning this bracelet going, holy shit, H-O-P-E, help other people every day. And I thought, oh, my God, you're gone and giving me the most beautiful, like, mission-driven vision I could ever have. So from that point on, I was, you know, confirmed in being that what I knew was what I knew and that my why was you need to find ways to help other people every day, right? Like, make hope active. So then I turned the business into Ray of Hope, and Ray is his name. So I used his signature as the Ray, and then Hope, obviously, now you know the story behind that. But isn't it like the things you can overlook if you don't pay attention? Oh my gosh. Yes. No, I have (laughs) goosebumps. I have goosebumps and I have tears in my eyes because it's just, I love that. I love, oh, oh, that's, yeah. Gives me all the feels. I know. Um, I, uh, you know, I named my podcast or called my podcast, Not So Darlin. And Darlin is a, 
term that my grandmother used all the time. She was so close to me. She would say, darling, darling, you know, (laughs) and, and just, she was the sweetest and most giving Mm -hmm. and, oh yeah. Like if I talk about her, then I'll get emotional. So I have to hold it together. But you know, she was something she, and she was a spitfire. And, uh, so I, I, um, get the feels when people say the, you know, and talk about these stories that um, mean so much and how they got to where they are today and what their mission is in life. And so thank you for sharing that. I I really do. And look at both of us, how important lineage is, like our, how impactful family lineage can really be in somebody's story moving forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so good. Um, Okay, so I'm going to flip it a little bit. And I always ask these two questions to all my guests. So name something in your life you have done that wasn't so darling. Oh, my gosh. I can think of lots of things that I've done that weren't so darling. You know, I'm going to link it back to child welfare. So you don't know what you don't know, right? So when I think back to some of the families that I worked with early on before, um, really understanding the deep need of suffering. Some of the practice and judgment-based practice is not, was my, you know, really like not so darling pieces of life. Um, I think the perceived not so darling would be the work now, right? Like people are thinking, oh, this is way too out of the box. And so I like to think that this is the good, not so darling that I'm in now. And that's the, you know, a very different view of what I would feel is not so darling, like too boxed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, who do you find to be so darling? Like in a good way? Yeah. Yeah. Like who do you find to be so darling? And and it could be in your everyday life. It could be, um, you know, some a celebrity or a, a person, you know, just anyone. I think the so darling people are the the outside of the box people, the people that are the brave enough souls to do something different in this world. The really darling people are the people that can access what their true power is and own it and use it and share it and kind of like really build and shift the consciousness of what we're living, you know, like change the narrative of all of these things it means to be people and humans. So those are my darlings and there's so many of them. Um, but like, I can think of two people, Ashley, I know we've talked about her, but she's like this big, bright, magical inner child light. And she's, you know, clearly so darling because she's got this authentically figured out how to be her. And then um, Bridget, Aileen Sisko is the publisher of the book I wrote. Oh my gosh, this woman like exudes bliss and bliss in a way that it doesn't matter if everyone else sees it or not. It's just, I mean, she, I just love it's like a brain crush, right? Like you just love being in their presence. And then Brene Brown, Brene Brown is like my favorite brain crush to read. And she is so darling because she is not so darling. <laughs> she, she is. I love her too. She is so, so good. And oh. I have, I, you know, I have the hugest smile on my face um, at, from just having our conversation, getting to see you again. So yeah, it has been so, so fun. And I... Truly appreciate you coming on and sharing your story with me and my listeners. Uh, and so tell my listeners where they can find you. Yep. You can go to my website, which is um, rayofhopereflectivecoaching.com, or I'm on Instagram 
at underscore or at reflective underscore coaching. Um, Facebook, I think it's at Ray of Hope, primarily though active on Instagram and website. And then obviously LinkedIn, if anyone's on that, find me, connect with me. I love to connect, you know, like I divinely found Tanya and I'm so grateful that you are encouraging people to share stories and amplifying stories. So I appreciate that. I mean, more than I can probably show you or tell you. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. It really does make um, my day. And, and, and it makes me feel so good to know that, you know, people are finding what I'm doing beneficial. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, maybe I am doing something right. <laughs> yes. Rest in certainty that you are doing something right. Many things right. Thank you. Thank you. You guys, please go check out Jess. She is truly a ray of sunshine (laughs) and hope. Um, And if you could see her, you would agree. Thank you again so much, Jess. Thank you. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe. And it will be so darling if you rate and review the Not So Darlin' podcast and then head over to notsodarlin.com and sign up so you don't miss out on some of Tanya's favorite things related to style, fitness, and health, both physical and mental, along with specials to be had, giveaways in which to participate, and the opportunity to be one of the Not So Darlin' podcast guests. And don't forget to follow Tanya on Instagram at notsodarlintanya. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.